0: Okay, today we're going to continue on. I know this has been a Sunday evening series for us, but we're going to continue on on this Wednesday night with a message that we began about a week and a half ago. I was reminded of this, that, um, that the guys tonight were doing something that, you know, man, you just don't imagine. I don't know, maybe, maybe Dr. Allen would have never imagined that he would sing in a campus church service without wearing a tie, you know that's one of those like wow you just never would kind of imagined or thought that that would be part of how you would function in a service at Campus Church, and and any time I bring up the tie as an illustration, m- many people get nervous because like that's always been something that that a speaker has always worn at Campus Church over the course of a lot of years. So when you, when you mention, you know, this was, this was, you know, if ever I use the tie as an illustration, there's some unsettledness because we ask the natural question, well, where's this going to go? We're going to come barefoot to church, you know, that kind of a, like, are we just going to keep this? So because of uncertainty, I think a lot of times we, we don't want to, we don't want to address anything because we don't know where's that going to go. You know there are some things that can't ever move we we today we use sometimes even like a hashtag old paths you know the only old path that should never move is the doctrinal path that's laid out for us in scripture that path can't move but there are some interesting things that can i 'm not talking about the, the all the benefits that would weigh and outweigh this, okay so so some would be in favor, some would not be in favor and, and it's controversial, although I, I don 't know that that always for the right reasons. Tonight, we sang with words on a screen. There was a time when in churches like ours, to sing from words on a screen was considered. Something that was the great slippery slope, so to speak. So if you, I mean, today we might, we might look at that with, with some measure of humor, but it wasn't humorous back in the day. To, to, for me to not preach in a tie, quite frankly, there was a day when I thought, no, I, I think I will always wear a tie to preach. I, I think... I have no plans, just so nobody's wondering like, oh, where's he going with this? But I have no plans to, to, to change for myself preaching in a tie on Sunday. On Sunday, I dress for the day. On Wednesday, you all primarily are dressing for a lot of other things. You're coming from work, you're coming from busy days. Many of you obviously are, are students, you're coming from class. So we felt like there was an appropriateness to say, listen, if you want to wear a tie, wear a tie on Wednesday night. But, but if you don't want to wear a tie, that's, that's not necessarily expected. There are some things that can and do change, and there are some things that never should. When we start to talk about music, sometimes we do get a little bit nervous because we wonder, like, where might we go? I'm not versed well enough musically to be able to definitively say this, but I do know that oftentimes we have said things like, as goes the music, so goes the church. I don't know music well enough to say that that statement is a true statement. I do know that music is oftentimes a, maybe more of a reflector than it is the the sole indicator. So music and churches are important. I think that they do go hand in hand because we see throughout scripture, the worship of the one who is worthy of the the fruit of our mouths. That's the product of our heart that expresses itself musically. So music and churches are very important. Is there room in that for variety, culturally, nationally, locally, preferentially, I think most of us would agree that there is room for that, but the challenge is oftentimes, well, to what degree? So last time we started down this, this road of does it really matter? And then we connected it to the question or the statement, what I listen to. Does what I listen to really matter? Or does music matter? We've used as our text for this whole series, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Last time we talked about what are some things that we need to understand about music. First of all, music communicates, just the music alone, music apart from words. Now music is oftentimes a combination of the two. It's the song. So the song is is some poem, so to speak, set to music. So music communicates, and then we said music is moral. If music's a language, then it has the ability to communicate thought. If I can take words and assemble words in a moral fashion because words communicate, is it possible for me to assemble music and put music together in such a way that just the music itself apart from words communicates? I think the answer is yes, Um, I know there are people that disagree with me on that, and I think we can do so amicably. But I think that music itself does send some kind of a message. So if it can communicate, it can communicate morally. And then we, we ended last time with music is preferential. We spent a fair amount of time on that and and spent some time understanding the idea that there is some aspect of preference with music. And we have to acknowledge and understand the preferential aspect of it. So we, we began down that road and, and I got to two bad reasons for determining what is good music. So now we start to dig just a little bit deeper. And remember my my goal is not to answer all the music questions like if I use this I'm always going to be able to one of my primary goals or our primary goals is does this matter if it matters then it's worth our thought and investigation and pursuit to know wow if this matters does it matter to me and how's it reflective in my musical choices Okay, so, so a couple bad reasons for determining what is good music. Okay, first of all, we mentioned this. If this is a bad reason for determining if it's good music, okay? It's old. It's old. So because music's old, does that automatically make it good music? Well, it doesn't make it good or bad, but oftentimes as Christians... We have made easy conclusions that if it's old, it must be good. And sadly, there are a lot of people that hold to, you know, if it's old, it's gold. If it's new, it's you. Okay, sorry. I couldn't think of a word that rhymed. So, so, hey man, if it's old, it's got to be really great music. And if it's new, then there's probably something wrong with the music. The problem with that is all throughout scripture and obviously all throughout time periods, there is music that is dynamic, that is fresh and that is new. And so when we start to think about this, you know, well, it's old, so it must be good. It's great for doctrine, by the way. You know, like, wow, historic, traditional, true for all people, for all places and all times doctrine, but it's terrible for a living, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ and unhealthy for being led by the Spirit. The Pharisees attempted some mechanical form of following God. They said, let's just put together our own list, and if you'll follow our list, then you're safe as it pertains to God. That didn't work then. Clearly, it doesn't work now. Francis Schaefer said, there is no mechanical solution to true spirituality or the true Christian life. Okay, there are some well-loved hymns in our hymn books. They're, they're written by quite a variety of people that you and I might look at and say, well, well, um, they must be okay because they're old. Some were written by Catholics, some were written by Anglicans, some were written by Universalists. We would look at that and we'd say, wow, now we have some questions about the, the origins and such. We'll touch on that in just a moment. But the fact that something is old isn't the sole determining factor for its goodness. Okay, so it's, it's not a great reason to determine good music, it's old. And then the second one is I like it. And we spent some time talking about that as well. Again, it's not the most compelling reason to determine the worth of something. It, can, it certainly can and should be a consideration. Do you like it? That should be part of music yeah, I enjoy this, I like this, I'm drawn to this, but it's not the final or the ultimate consideration. There are a lot of things that we like that we shouldn't. I mean, if we're gonna be honest in here right now, what is your heart often drawn towards? What, what, because you're drawn to it or you have some, in a sense, what we might term for lack of a, a, more, a more accurate term, what kind of fleshly pull do you have because you like something? But is that our sole determination or our final determination for determining the value, the worth, the acceptability of something? So just because I like it doesn't mean that that is the final answer um, there are things that you can like and I don't like, and we can simply agree to differ. We're not talking about a moral matter here between right and wrong. What we're talking about is a preferential matter upon which we we don't always have to agree. Isn't it possible that there could be fine music? In other words, the music itself, what the music's communicating, is fine, but it's just not your preference. I mean, isn't that possible? And if that's possible, isn't it also possible within our worship that there could be music? I'm just speaking in the land of possibility that, wow, you know, there's nothing wrong with that music, but it's not my preference. And you can take that on any side of the, the conservative or less conservative musical scale. So the point regarding this does it matter in these messages is not to answer all the questions, but it is to help us at least process some important aspects of music. I'd like to share right now what we're going to just refer to as four thoughts for measuring our musical choices. Four thoughts for measuring our musical choices. I did mention this first one last week. Number one, music in the church is less about my preferences and more about my love. Let me say this, and I don't know that I'm, I'm completely uh, without bias on this, because I am a pastor, and and by that, I'm a preacher. So I, I preach. I preach. Pastors preach a lot. but But when we start to evaluate, if I'm not a pastor, if I back up and evaluate a little bit, What should be the primary reason by which I choose a church? Should it be that it appeals to me first and foremost musically? Or should there be something beyond its music that first appeals to me? Or that I make as my first consideration? Music in the church... Sometimes we we select a church purely because of what we refer to as their worship style. I'm I'm not saying that that shouldn't be a consideration, but I don't know that it should be your first consideration. When we talk about the work of the church and one of those primary aspects of, of the work of the church... It is through the means of taking doctrine, taking Bible truth, and going through those truths and seeking to instill those truths into our lives. And then I think that the music is this wonderful opportunity to be this expression of our heart as we gather and assemble together as the unified, visible body of Jesus Christ. So music in the church should be less about my individual preferences and more about my love for that local assembly, love for that body. Let's let's take that thought a little bit further. We're not talking about approving that which is sinful music, just in case there's any question or wonder. But we are talking about that which is at times even preferential for us within a local body. Um, And please note this, if you've concluded that your limited window of preference, now let me say this and let me make sure we're all on the same page. If you or if I have concluded that my limited window of preference is the definition of that which is perfect, musically speaking, I would caution all of us against the potential for spiritual blindness if I've concluded that, okay, there, this is my window for perfect church music. So let's leave it to church. We'll broaden beyond that in just a minute. But if I'd say, this is my, this is perfect church music. Well, if we, if we are limited to our window of preference, we, we are in danger of spiritual blindness. And then judging everyone else according to our Our little preferential window, that is a a potentially dangerous place to be. C.S. Lewis, I'm going to read a little bit more lengthy quote from him, but listen to what C.S. Lewis said as it pertains to music and his own preferences. When he first came to know Christ and he starts to go to church, this is what he said. He said, I dislike very much their hymns, which I consider to be, now he's being quite blunt here, okay? Okay. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually, notice what he says here, my conceit just began peeling off. So he comes in with this high view of himself that now he instills upon their music. Notice what he went on to say. I realized that the hymns were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. Do you know what he, I think he's coming to I think he's coming to the place where he said listen music in church I'm, I'm not saying that we're approving wrong music what I am saying is when we start to consider music it's not solely about my individual preference it's more about my love for the body so this principle um, would mean that those who trend either toward more traditional or more recent music, would show a gracious love each to the other, not seeking to impose their view exclusively. Okay, so when we start to review this, music in the church is less about my preferences, more about my love. Next, and this is more broadly offered, not just for music in the church. Number two, music should agree with that which is true. Music should agree with that which is true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, if you want a simple verse to evaluate music, does it really matter? Well, yes. What's a great verse to just begin evaluating what it is that I'm consuming or musing upon musically? Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Okay, so what's this doing to me? what's the subtle or what's the not so subtle message that this is sending to me either directly or somewhat indirectly prove all things hold fast that which is good we're never given a pass on this with any other form of communication in other words, we, we don't get to, to say whatever we want in other areas. Why should we get that same, you know, why, why don't we measure music by that same measure or standard? In Psalm chapter 40, verse number nine, the psalmist said this He said, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. Thou knowest. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I've, I've said what I'm supposed to say, and I said, I spoke righteousness, and you, God, as I preach, I've preached righteousness in the congregation, and you, God, are the one that knows. He's he's saying, okay, Lord, measure what I've said. You're the one who knows all these things. Well, if if his preaching is measured by the standard of truth, shouldn't everything be measured by the same? Do we get a pass on music that we don't get a pass on preaching? And then you can just take that out to expand that to all kinds of different areas, areas of life. Why should we demand truth in preaching but not in our music? Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is another one of those filters through which our entertainment choices can be driven. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. If there be any virtue. If there be any praise. Think. Muse. On these things. This is is just for free. and, And I'm not shocking anyone in here who has any basic understanding of current music. And I'm not talking about music that we're possibly debating in the church. I'm talking about cultural music. I read, a, I read quite a, a lengthy article on what's, what happens with music, what's the message of music. Okay, so so it's a peer-reviewed article. It's not a Christian article. It's just a study of music. They didn't publish the findings until 2018, but it was a 50-year study. And what they did is they took music from 1960 to to uh, 2010, and they just started to evaluate, compare music. Uh, so it it was released in 2018. But there's no shock here when you when you talk about how often was was again, pardon the bluntness, but sex or sexual acts mentioned in 1960 in music? Well, I mean, it's, it's minuscule. And and then how often? And they said, and we're not including the generalities. They, they, they were very specific in how they went about the study. We're not talking about kissing or hugging. We're talking about more graphic forms of, of physical relationships. I mean, to to look at the the numbers that went from I mean minuscule to dominant continually prevalent so so today I mean I've done this over the course of a lot of years and I just did it again today like okay what are the what are the top new songs listed on my apple device okay so I just pulled it up and and um And I'm asking you right now, because I know you can do that right now, but I'm asking that that you pause and not right now. But, I mean, just to look at, out of the top 10 that are listed, you know, eight out of the 10 are explicit. So the lyrics, they're just, I mean, when, when, this is not a Christian organization. When the world calls something explicit, it is pretty graphic. And, and quite honestly, I said, okay, well, well, what does that look like today? What's explicit look like today? So I looked up the lyrics, I did just the lyric search for the, for the first one. If I read the lyrics in this room tonight, I, I hope there's, I'm not being silly about this, but I, I hope by God's grace, there wouldn't be someone in here who wouldn't blush with shame that, that someone just read that in a church service. I, you know, I, I know sometimes we speak in these grandiose terms but quite honestly, if we don't blush over, over what, what we're saying, hey, this is the content that we're consuming and people are consuming it. So if you wanna ask yourself a good question regarding music, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, and then just start walking through. This is a good measure for, is this something that I should be feasting on, feeding on? Music should agree with that which is true. Um, Number three, music should never compromise the holiness of God. Music should never compromise the holiness of God wherever it's found in the church or out of the church. Now, when we say that, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we understand there's, there's a, a place of appropriateness. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 14 through 16 says this. It says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. In other words, wow, quite honestly, I didn't know better. You, you know, there's a lot of times we grow up with something and And we just, that's just part of our growing up. And and in a sense, we say, I just, I didn't know. Or man, the more I hear hear about and the more I'm exposed to, I'm learning some things. But he says, okay, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves, not conforming yourselves, not adorning yourselves in those former lusts and your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means your manner of living, your lifestyle. Because it is written, be ye holy. For I am holy. He's saying, live like who you are. You, You are the holy child of the holy God. So he says, live like who you are. The holiness of God should be the overarching principle of life that we should never be willing to compromise, whether in or out of the church. Now, I believe that music sung in church but this is just a little aside so let me let me toss this out and there will be some that will disagree and and man I understand I believe that music sung in church is not an entire endorsement of its author if that were the case then much of our hymn book would be would be of necessity removed I don't know the character of the person who bound my bible Or the person who developed the audio or video systems used here in the crown center nor do I know the character of the people who built the place used directly for the worship of our God I use a lot of sources that I do not wholly endorse their doctrine there's only one book that you and I should wholly endorse and that is the the holy scripture the word of God a few moments ago I quoted C.S. Lewis That is not a blanket endorsement of C.S. Lewis much of which his doctrine there are doctrinal points of C.S. Lewis that I have serious issue with. So for me to mention C.S. Lewis in a a sermon in a message I hope we have the discernment enough to know that's not a blanket endorsement of his doctrine. Um, There'd be no issue with this whatsoever and I mean this because I, I quote pastors commentaries resources of whom I do not fully agree nor is it a blanket endorsement and I I would anticipate expect this do you know some guy who's studying in ministerial class at Pensacola Christian College who'd be at campus church maybe sometime he wrote down something that I said and so he writes it down and let's say he's preaching a message and he says you know Jeff Redland said that should never be a blanket endorsement of, of Jeff Redland. Man, okay, we're going to take that and, and weigh that serious. Okay, no, I get it. Okay, I agree with that. Or that's consistent with scripture. But that's not a blanket endorsement. So, so oftentimes, we apply something to music that we apply to no other area of our worship. Again, this would be true of many different sources. Use is not a blanket endorsement of doctrine We know that's not the case from our own hymn book. We sing songs like Because He Lives or even Holy, Holy, Holy. Our first identity that is to never be brought into question is our identification with Christ. And we should choose and sing songs in church that accomplish the same. They focus our attention and our identity on him, not primarily on the human author or source. We're reminded once more that we should never compromise the holiness of our God. Okay, what's next? Okay, what are principles then for for music? Well, you know, the first three that we've looked at: music in the church is not about my is not as much about less about my preferences, more about my love. Music should agree with that which is true. Music should never compromise the holiness of God. And then next, sing new songs. Sing new songs. Don't be afraid of new songs. There is something that is found all throughout Scripture, and you can say, well, that means new because, you know, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I think it applies to that, and I, I don't hesitate from it, but, but it also does mean sing new songs. If you, if you study out the words and the use of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it means sing fresh songs it doesn't mean that we can't with a worshipful fresh attitude sing old songs but it does mean there is a place for new music new songs I waited patiently for the Lord Psalm 40 verse 1 says I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry he brought me up also out of a horrible pit. That's interesting and, and not entirely coincidental. He brought me up out of a horrible pit. It means literally a pit of noise. He brought me up out of this cacophony of, of, of noise. It's like I couldn't, I couldn't think. My, my thinking was so confused. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of miry clay. I was stuck in something and establish my goings he hath put a here it is and we see it all throughout scripture he hath put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our God many shall and I love this statement many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord there is something visually different about a person who says God you delivered me from that pit of noise You delivered me from that miry clay. You, God, and you alone set my feet on a solid rock and you put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many are seeing in my life and they're seeing in a sense the song of my life and it redounds to the glory of the one who accomplished it all. I believe the word new in scripture does mean, again, both new to us and can also mean new in composition. What if music, if we didn't have new music, don't, don't, we can't just automatically be afraid because it's new. What if music had stopped in the 15th century? We wouldn't have a mighty fortress as our God. What if it stopped in the 16th century? We wouldn't have Charles Wesley and Christ the Lord is risen today rejoice the Lord is king and one of my favorites and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood we wouldn't have Isaac Watts I sing the mighty power of God joy to the world the Lord has come when I survey the wondrous cross And on and on we could go. Throughout history, songs have been written that have had some musical reflection of the period during the time which they were written. Throughout history, um, let's see here. Dr. Barnhart, what's the name of the song you sang tonight? He's a wonderful savior to me. Um, Dr. Allen, do you know, out of curiosity, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you know when the song was written, he's a wonderful savior to me? Because you were alive, I know when it was written, okay. <laughs> when was it written? Does anybody know? Okay, I'm assuming this, but it's not a great, and some of you are like, oh, I'll tell you in just a minute, okay. Um, the song was written, Josh, look it up and see when the song was written. And um, now you, the rest of you, stay put, Okay like too late I got it okay (laughs) so you'll look that up for us and find out when it was written does the song he's a wonderful savior to me does it have a musical connection to the time period with which it was written um let's see we we have sung we you taught us a new song about the holiness of God and I can't remember the name of the song and We'll, we'll probably stumble on it. What, what's the year? 1918? Dr. Allen, I, I apologize. You were not alive when the song was written. He was born in 1919. Okay, and so... Okay, so does the song have some indication of when it was written? Well, yeah. Music always does. Music has some... Do you, do you remember the song that we were learning... Holy, only a holy God, yeah. Okay, now listen because obviously I have a couple more things I wanna say. Only a holy God, does it have some reflection of the time period with which it was written? And the answer again is an obvious yes. Do those two songs have merit in the church? Yes, or we shouldn't be doing them. But are they unique to the time period with which they were produced? Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Psalm 33 verse 3. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Psalm 96, one. Psalm 98, one. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. Isaiah 42.10. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. The word new here, it, it is exactly what it, what it says. It's new, it's of new composition, it's fresh. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Isn't it at least worth noting that the song that God puts in our mouth must be the product of that which comes from our heart? And who's the object of the new song? Revelation 5, 9 says, and they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy. Jesus is the object of the new song. The new song—it does mean exactly what we've said: of a new kind, unprecedented, unheard of. And you know, as we wrap all this up, let me close with something that is not intended to be controversial, but I think it's the the finality of what we've been talking about. Music can be situationally appropriate. We say whoa that's a that's a dangerous word to use it's it's not when we think about it situationally appropriate the the bible says in first kings 1 39 and 40 and zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed solomon this is at solomon's coronation and they blew the trumpet and all the people said god save king solomon and all the people came to him after came after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy and so all the earth rent with the sound of them this is celebratory music this is loud music this wasn't the temple music this was the crowning of the king music now at times when we use the word situationally we think of situational ethics We're not not talking about situational ethics. What we're talking about is appropriateness. We we may think, um, how can music be situationally appropriate? Okay, well, remember Solomon's coronation? We have loud, you know, exciting celebratory music. Do you remember when David played the, the harp for King Saul when Saul was tormented? Well, I can't prove this. But I think that the musical construction was vastly different than what was played for Solomon's coronation. One was appropriate in one place, another was appropriate in another place. So were either of these examples, you know, what we would call, you know, Christian music? Well, back in that day, I know Christian wasn't, the word wasn't coined then, but, but these were both forms of music that certainly honored God and appropriate situationally. The music that, that, that you and I enjoy oftentimes is, if not used appropriately, it becomes something of like that, wow, I, I don't know that I would have used that there. There's music, this helped me several years ago. There's music that, um, that on Rejoice Radio is quite a variety of music. I mean, there's, there's standard old you know quartet music and there's there's newer r- more recently released music and some of it I'd say wow you know I I struggled with this a bit years ago I thought wow I don't know that we would do that in church well the point of rejoice radio is not that all of it be done in church you know someone someone explained you know at times that's the kind of music that a housewife is going to to, to listen to while she's you know doing x y or z or this is something that a, a husband is going to do while he is these are things that kids are listening to at different the variety was was understood like oh that's not intended every bit of music is not intended to be done in church it should still go through the filter of and finally brethren whatsoever things are Prove all things, hold fast that which is true. But it doesn't all have to pass the, the muster of could we do that in church? I mean, if you, you want an obvious example, I can remember um, th- this was in the, the, you know, the space age when people were going to the moon. And, and you remember when Countdown was first sung in junior church, you know? Somewhere in outer space, God has prepared a place for those who trust him in a way. You know, Jesus will come again, and though we don't know when, the countdown's getting lower every day. 10 and 9, 8 and 7. Can you imagine on Sunday morning, you know, Dr. Clausia Gonzalves, you know, she's there, and, and um, somewhere in outer space, you know, and the Rejoice Choir is doing countdown. Now, a lot of you would like, yeah, okay. Well, I'm just saying, nah, you know, it's it's not going to happen because it's... It's not that it's wrong. It's just, it's, it's situationally inappropriate. Is there music that, that you know, sometimes if, if we wanted to take this to its logical conclusion, there may be music that would be appropriate for a husband and wife to listen to in their bedroom that would be ill-fitted for an unmarried person to listen to outside of it. If music is moral and music is sending a message, then there might be something appropriate in a bedroom with a married couple that that shouldn't be played at the mall where 16-year-old girls are hearing a message that is speaking to them about what they're supposed to do with themselves. I, I say all of that to say that music can be situationally appropriate. There could be some things that's like, wow, you know, now's not the time for that. Or this is inappropriate, or this is taking my mind someplace that it shouldn't be. Or there's this constant subtle message that's being sent to me that, that's inconsistent with prove all things, hold fast that which is good. I'll, I'll conclude with this passage of scripture. In Psalm 19, verse number 14, the Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I've never looked this up before, but the word meditation, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, it is literally the music of your heart. Let the words of my mouth, what I say, Let the song of my heart, the musings, the meditation, the the music of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. Do you remember when Samson lost his strength? The Bible says he became like any other man. May God's people not be like any other person, but may we be reflectors of the one that we are musing upon, the one who is our strength and our redeemer.